house. And uh, all that matters when it comes to our lights up on the house is that we beat our neighbors. We have a race every year, okay? And so Tuesday, uh, we'll be totally good to go. And so I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and on to the next one. Let's have a great Christmas season together. Let me just say this. This is not my sermon, but life moves so quickly, so quickly. Take time this holiday season to slow down. Spend time with people in real time. Turn your phone off. As our family was away over Thanksgiving, I didn't get cell reception. I think God knew exactly what he was doing, you know. And I found out I could live without checking ESPN every five minutes on my phone, okay. And uh, make memories this, this holiday season. You'll be so glad that you did. And uh, so I uh, hope you had a good one. And hope you have a good one to come. And uh, we're going to get into a study today beginning in Acts chapter 20. You know, in 1980, the Winter Olympics were held in Lake Placid, New York, and the world expected to see there what they had seen five of the six previous Winter Olympics. They thought they would see the Soviet Union at that time roll over the rest of the world when it came to hockey. Five of the six previous Winter Olympics, they'd won the gold medal. They were the odds-on favorite to win the gold medal that year, and it didn't help that the United States, unlike the Soviet Union, we did not allow at that time professional athletes to participate in the Olympic Games. So the Soviet Union teams consisted almost entirely of professional, seasoned, adult, men-proven athletes. And the United States had an amateur-only team. And beyond that, it was the youngest team we'd ever fielded in the Olympics when it came to the sport of hockey. At the end of the first period of our game against the Soviet Union, the score was tied 2-2, two to two, and everyone was impressed that we were hanging with them for a while. The second period, the Soviet Union scored. It was now 2-3. to three. They were winning. In the final period, the United States scored two goals to win the game, 4-3. to three. It was one of the most amazing victories of all time. It was the stuff of which movies are made, literally. If you ever saw the movie of that Olympic Games, it was called The Miracle. And it's remembered as one of the greatest, the greatest victories in all of sports, one of the greatest uh, underdog victories. And and it's also known as one of the greatest events in sports for how the broadcaster called the game. Al Michaels is really just a legendary sports broadcaster. He's had a lot of epic moments in his career. But I think his work at the end of that game in particular will go down as some of the greatest work he ever did in, in, his, in his career. And uh, I wanted just to watch the last minute or so of that game with you today. So let's direct our attention to the screens. USA, USA, come on guys, we won, and uh, I think it says somewhere I'd rather be dead than red, all right, we beat the Soviet Union in hockey, and at the end he said, uh, do you believe in miracles, and uh, I don't know that a victory in sports would qualify as a miracle, I think we could call it an upset, an amazing victory, but I like that question, do you believe in miracles, and I want you to consider that question with me today, pollster George Barna and the Barna Group took that question all across the United States, and as you might expect, the outcome to that question, the answers they received, it varied from area to area, from demographic to demographic. But the consensus in America is that 66% of people surveyed said that they believe in miracles. 
specifically what they meant by that answer, and it was understood in the question. They believe in a God who can supernaturally work in our lives. It's always interesting for me to see where the American people come down on a topic like that, but I'm not speaking to America today. I'm speaking to you. And I would think that the typical person that comes to church, I'd imagine it would be higher than 66% of those of you here today that would say, I believe in a divine God who can intervene in my life, who can do miracles. And I want us today to consider what real impact does that belief hold? How does that belief affect our behavior? And I want you to know as we head into this Christmas season, it is my prayer, it's my desire that we would come to understand that the birth of Jesus was the greatest miracle the world had ever known to that point. And, and to think of a, of a God that became man without ceasing to be God, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross, and that He literally rose again from the dead. It's, it's an amazing thought. I want you to think of, of Jesus, that He came, and, and 2,000 years since that time has passed, and, and yet there's an impact, a practical impact that His life brings to our lives, and I would say that's a miraculous thing in and of itself. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be involved in a study I'm just calling the Miracles of Christmas. We're going to consider some of the better-known aspects of the Christmas story. And to begin, I want to talk about the miracle of meaning that Jesus brings to our lives. The reality of Jesus Christ will lead us to do things that we otherwise would not do. A belief in Jesus impacts our behavior. And I believe that it will lead us to live a life of generosity. So I want to begin this series by dealing with the topic of giving. You might say, Pastor, wait a minute, that's, that's not really a part of the Christmas story necessarily, but, but I would submit to you that if if you believe that Jesus is God and that His words will serve as a foundation for who you are in life and for what you do in your life, it, it is very important. You see, Jesus had much to say in relationship to our handling of finances, our, our, our generosity and so forth. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus gave dealt very specifically with the matter of finances and, and generosity. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers roughly 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Jesus had so much to say about giving and generosity, but Christmas highlights more than just what Jesus said. Jesus was a giver himself. Jesus said much of giving, yet he modeled a life of generosity. He made the most insightful and profound statements regarding giving, but he gave personally as no other has given. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 1. He said, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So with that backdrop in our minds, I want us to look to the words of Jesus to see what it is He has to teach us so that we can embrace the joy of a generous life. I think we can be encouraged greatly by this. I'm, I'm excited to share with you what it is I'm learning about this matter of generous living. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing out of respect for the reading of God's Word. If you're glad to be at church, say amen. And I'm glad you're here. 
I hope you'll stick with me in this message all the way through to the very end. I was going to say the bitter end. I hope it won't be a bitter end. It'll be a happy end. But all the way through because it's all going to build one upon the other. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. God's word says, For I know this, the Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified." I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. I'm going to read on, but I want you to take note here that Paul is giving a contrast between covetous, greedy leaders. And then Paul said, I I want you to uh, watch my life and remember my life. I want you guys to know that's not how I did it. And you know me, Paul said. And you know that, that I labored diligently among you. We've, we've labored together, and I was there with you three years, and, and you know that, that uh, I was working in your midst. Verse 34. Yeah, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you today would like to be blessed of the Lord? How many of you would like to be more blessed? (laughs) Jesus said, it is more blessed. I want us to think on this together this morning. Our Father, I love you. I'm very grateful for the privilege of standing here before your people. And God, I pray that not one word that I would say today would be inconsistent with that which you've already revealed in your word for us. Help us. God, I pray that this message would strike each heart here in the way that you would have. May it encourage those who are living a life of generosity. And and Lord, may it provoke others that perhaps need to grow in this area. Be honored in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In our house, it normally happens at the end of each month. My wife and I will get together and we'll review the upcoming month. We'll talk about some important dates we need to remember. And then we'll, then we'll get to the nuts and bolts of assembling our family's budget for the next month of our lives. A lot of it's fixed, and then we've got to get into the, into the things, you know, do you need a haircut this week, and do you have a gift to give to someone this month, and, and on and on we'll go, and we'll build the budget. As we came to the end of September to prepare for October, and really the last quarter of the year, one of the big things we needed to talk about as a couple was Christmas. You see, we wanted to prepare a budget, and we did so because we don't want to be emotional givers. We don't want a commercial on TV or some fancy display in a store to be that thing that determines what we're going to give and how much we're going to spend. We don't want emotions to lead the way because emotions are a wonderful part of life, but emotions are poor leaders in life. Nor do we want to be stingy. 
and fail to give what we would like to give. And so we make a, a plan, we make a budget, and that, that makes sense for us. And our goal then is to stick with the plan. And, and in the course of our giving, we hope, of course, to spoil our new granddaughter, Callie, as much as possible. We try to plan that in. But, but we have found that for us, a budget is the very best way to go entering into the holiday season. And so it is when it comes to giving in general in our lives. Some give when they're feeling it. It's more of an emotional thing. Maybe it's some felt need that is presented, or maybe it's the missionary that shows a picture, and that picture tugs at your heart, and, and there's a, a visceral emotional response, and your giving is based on emotion. I'm not against emotional giving, but emotions in and of themselves won't lead us to live a life of generosity. We'll just have momentary bursts. Some, when it comes to giving, they, they feel obligated. They do it, but it's, it's grudging, as the Bible would say. It's, it's not coming from a cheerful heart, as the Bible would say. It's this sense of, well, I guess I have to give, and so I'm going to go ahead and do it, but there's no real joy in it. And the fact of the matter is there are many people today that have never personally experienced the joy that comes from living a life of generosity. It's just never been a regular part uh, of their lives, and, and they're missing out on the, on the joy of giving. In fact, they would measure life more by what I get than what it is I'm able to give. But the best way to live a generous life is to do so intentionally. I'm talking about determining with the help of God what it is you'd like to do, then developing a plan to get you there, and then live out your plan with joy. And the way to make the most of your giving is to settle in your heart if Jesus Christ truly is the Lord. And once you've come to terms with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the management of the resources He's placed in your lives will become much easier. So it starts with knowing who Jesus is. And for those who come to terms with that, the, the next step is to let Him serve as your guide in the realm of your financial lives. Paul directed this church to whom he spoke to the words of Jesus. He, he said, let me, let me give you some advice, and, and the best way I can do that, Paul said, is to send you right to the words of Jesus Christ. And so as we consider these truths, uh, I want us to see what we can learn from these words. If your notes are nearby, provided in your worship guides this morning, I want you to see, first of all, the practice of giving frees us from greed. The practice of giving frees us from greed. Now it's interesting the context of these verses that teach us about generosity because Paul began in verse 29 by speaking of the false teachers and preachers of his day. And how many of you would know there are false teachers and preachers in our day as well? Paul said, let me tell you about these false teachers and preachers. He said they're like grievous wolves. And they're like wolves that don't spare the flock. They want to tear the flock apart for their own good. Furthermore, he tells us why they do this. In the end of verse 30, he said this is done to draw away disciples after them. Paul said, I want you to know there are leaders who will get from people what they can get, not for what they can give. And he said they do this because they're trying to draw a following unto themselves. They're interested in, in propping themselves up, not in, not in promoting the work of Jesus Christ. In verse 33, he said this, Paul said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. So Paul here paints a picture of greedy leaders who are on the take. And then he paints another portrait, a self-portrait in this case of a godly leader who's on the give 
And just like there are greedy leaders and godly leaders, all of us understand in life that we have the capacity to be greedy, to be in things for what we can get, rather than godly in things for what we can give. And Paul said, I want to be clear heading into this topic that not everything and everyone's a worthy investment, but he said, as we live godly lives, we'll live generous lives. And Jesus was diligent to make us aware of a pit into which many of us can fall if we are not careful. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said this. He said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, whenever Jesus is redundant, I always take pause. If he said it once, it's important. If he said it twice in a row, it's exceedingly important. And Jesus here wasn't wasting words. He said, he said here, take heed and beware. I mean, that's a, that's a flashing light, that, that's a siren. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to say something that's very important. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Coveting here refers to the desire to have more and more. It's the opposite of a content life that says, I'm grateful for who I am in Jesus and what I have in Christ. The, the life of covetousness is one that wants more and more. It's speaking of greed. And there is only one remedy to the, to the blight of greed. And it's generosity. There's only one way to break the clutches of a greedy life, and that's to live with hands open instead of clenched, a willingness to give generosity. Givers are liberated from the rat race in life that seeks to have more and more. And, and Jesus told us clearly, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus said there's more to you than the stuff you have. He would also say it's fine for you to have stuff, just don't let your stuff have you. Don't let your possessions become possessive of you. My granddaughter Callie is uh, uh, just fantastic, and we were able to spend a little extra time with her over the holiday, and we played together quite a lot, and uh, I just love her. But you know, I've noticed something about, about Callie. Nobody had to teach that little girl how to be greedy. She just showed up that way, you know? I told you last week, I, I've managed to mention her about every other sermon these days, you know, but I, I told you last week she does not speak English, she speaks Klingon and Ewok, okay, and, and uh, yet she's learning some words, and one of the words she's learned is mine, mine, and, and uh, I, I'm not sure who sat down and said, you know, there are some words you're going to need to learn, this is an important one, here's where we're going to start, but, but she learned that word, and, and every now and then I'll peek in on her in the church nursery, and she'll be walking around picking up toys, carrying more toys than she possibly can, because she wants them all, and she comes by that greedy little spirit naturally, she got it from her mom. <laughs> and her mom got it from her dad. It's in me. Greed. I have the capacity to be that miserly little greedy kid who's not happy until I've got it all. And the only way I can be free from a life that is controlled by greed is to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ when it comes to giving. Because Jesus said, You need to beware of this. Beware. A big part of Lisa and my giving is through our local church family here. I don't say this in a boastful way at all, but I find routinely in the Bible that people would allow what God was doing in their life to encourage others. And 
I think you'd be disappointed if I, if I didn't do these things, so it wouldn't be a surprise to any, I'm sure. But each week we worship God at our church family by way of tithing. The word tithe just means 10%. And uh, uh, we, when we do our family budget, we never negotiate. Are we going to tithe this month? Or No, 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 no. We, every week it happens. We tithe and then we give offerings. We give offerings beyond that to missionaries. And we give offerings to our building program. Every week we give tithes and, and offerings. In fact, we're so serious about this matter of of generosity to the Lord and specifically through his work in the world today the local church that we just went ahead and got online on the church's website and we've set up for years now uh, it just happens we just set it and forget it so to speak and it just every week our, our our giving is done in that way and what we have done is we've made a plan on a weekly basis to honor the Lord to recognize all we have is from him and it, it it's helped us to be in a position where we can keep uh, 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 control of this greed that wants to take over our lives. Giving leads to freedom, and greed leads to bondage. Giving really brings joy, and a greedy life's never happy because you never do have enough. The practice of giving frees us from greed. Let's look at the second thought together. The promise of giving fuels us for good. Let's again look in verse 35. Paul wrote, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, now again, listen to what Jesus said, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I've often heard this verse mentioned and taught as though it simply says it's better to give a gift than to receive a gift. And sometimes that's true. But how many of you, like me, still really like to get gifts? I don't believe that's exactly what Jesus was saying here. He said, but oh, that's what he said. No, you have to understand the context. What this statement actually means is this. We all receive. You would have nothing if you did not receive. We've already all been blessed. So how can we move this blessing of that which we've received and make it into a greater blessing, a, another blessing, a more blessing, if I can say it that way. Blessing in life comes not just in receiving, that is a blessing, but when you take that which you've received, which is a blessing, and you share it with others and through your giving and generosity, it's a blessing twice over. And the blessing that comes from God in response to our generosity, it provides us with the opportunity to bless and to give to others, and on and on it goes. You see, the promise of giving is this, it fuels us for good as we give. It's, it's something that is recognized by the Lord, He ministers to us, and we're able to give again and, and not only are we growing but we're we're blessing others we're enabling good to to continue giving is to be a way of life God gives to us we give to others God gives more to us so that we can give to others one person said it this way God shovels it in we shovel it out God shovels it in we shovel it out and God has a bigger shovel than we do Jesus Christ it's okay if I quote Jesus in church right thank you I would have anyhow Luke 6, Jesus said this, give. He said give. Jesus said that. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. How many of you have ever been to In-N-Out Burger? Yes. Double-double, any of you? Yeah. Some of you, you're more excited right now at this moment in church than you've ever been before, okay? Uh, how many of you have ever watched them put the fries in those little cardboard containers? That's what I think of when I read this verse. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I mean, they'll, they'll put the box on the towel, put the fries, and then they'll do something, shake it up, and they'll put it in the bag, and the fries are overflowing, and it's like more than that little box can contain. I mean, they, they put more fries than that, that box can hold. And, and the Bible says, given it shall be given unto you, like they put fries in the boxes at In-N-Out Burger. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Now some have perverted these words to mean that if we prime the pump with God through giving, that God then will be obligated to meet our greeds. God is not obligated to meet our greeds. God never promises to meet our greeds. He promises to meet our needs. In Philippians 4, the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your needs your need, according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, what God's blessing to our life does is, is it fuels us so we can be strong and consistent in this matter of giving. I do believe that God blesses those that give. And when that's done, we're able to be more blessed because we pass it on. And, and this whole process is, is something that's based on a promise of giving, which is it fuels us for good. That leads to the final thought we'll consider this morning. The premise of giving feeds us for growth. The premise of giving feeds us for growth. As Paul prepared to share the words of Jesus, he did so in an interesting way. He, he said it this way. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. In, in other words, he said Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the one we're to follow and obey. Giving is premised upon faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I think there might have been another reason Paul said that. Um, I think I can relate with the Apostle Paul. At times, uh, I've had difficulty as a pastor mentioning the topic of giving. For some people, one mention of the topic of giving is one too many. Other people love sermons on giving, and generally it's because they're doing it and it really encourages them. But there have been times where I thought, you know, if I'm going to bring a message on giving, I want it to be filled with Scripture so that no one can blame me for what it is that God said. And I believe the Apostle Paul said, look, I'm going to mention giving here, but remember it was Jesus Christ who said this. Listen to what Jesus said. You can tell a lot about a person by what they emphasize and what they recognize. I spent a lot of time in the nation of South Korea in my lifetime. I lived there for a period of time. And uh, they have wonderful Christians in, in that nation. Wonderful. It's, it's called the only Christian nation in Asia. Uh, after the Korean War, a lot of the GIs that had fought there, they got a burden for those people, and we flooded that nation with the gospel. And now, per capita, Korea sends more missionaries around the world than any other country. It, it's, it's an incredible place with some highly dedicated Christians, and they receive offerings there much differently than we do. When we receive an offering at our church, usually I'm seated over here somewhere, and I try to just kind of stare at the ground, mind my own business, and act like I'm totally disinterested in what's happening at that time, okay? How many of you realize I'm actually a little interested in what's happening at that time, okay? But, but I just sit there and I try to, you know, uh, just mind my own business. That's not how it's done in Korea. Uh, in, in Korea, at least in the churches I've been a part of, when the offerings received, the pastor does something like this. I'm, I'm not kidding. He literally watches the plates going around. Just watches. You say, why would he do such a thing? Well, there's a conviction there that giving is a prime spiritual indicator. 
that it says a lot about our heart. And the idea is, I, I want to beware of those who are consistently not giving so I can go to them as a brother in the Lord and say, listen, this is a big part of your Christian life. Well, uh, what's happening? Is there something I can pray with you about? How, how can I help you? And so they just watch those offering plates go around. I thought of doing that here. I think it would probably not go over too well, but that's how it's done there. I will say this, for what it's worth, I think Jesus was more of the Korean style when it came to the offerings. In fact, on one occasion, we find Jesus actually went to the temple to watch people give offerings. Can you imagine? In Mark chapter 12, we read of this occasion. The Bible says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld, in other words, he watched, beheld there, the idea is to look intently to the point of understanding. He beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, he said, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. It's, it's interesting to me that Jesus never evaluated an offering by how much was giving, uh, given. Uh, that obviously varies from person to person. That would be an inequitable way to evaluate giving. That's not how he, he judged it. He, he didn't judge it by how much was given, by how much was left after the offering. He, he said that lady gave the most. Now, we know materially speaking, she gave the least, just a couple pennies. But Jesus said she gave the most because she gave of her want. And that lady is memorialized in Scripture because she was generous. And Jesus saw that. Jesus one time in John 15 said this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know that Jesus showed his love to us by giving himself? And when we give, we resemble Jesus Christ, for he was giving. The simple act of giving provides for us. It feeds us for growth in life. In the course of this life, I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and it resembles Him when I live a life of generosity. I remember when we started the church more than 20 years ago now, the world was actually a very different place. I remember reading as our church was beginning that a pastor can expect to lose 10% of his church every year for every kind of conceivable reason. And uh, that, that number seemed about right for a time. I read about two weeks ago that today the average church can expect to lose 20% of their congregation every year. And, and the reasons given, first of all, there's more of a kind of an attitude today of we're always just kind of shopping, you know, and, and uh, there's a lack of, of commitment to a church family today as there was in previous years, and people just kind of bounce around, bounce around. Um, and then the day in which we're living is far more transient. I mean, people just move a lot more, and that's just the way things are today. We can like it or lump it, but it's just the fact of the matter. It's how things are today. 20% in a typical year. I would say with a lot of the military influence in our community, we're every bit of 20%, probably more. We've grown for 20 straight years, and we've got to bring in now 20% new people every year just to break even numerically. But if those statistics are accurate, that would mean that every few years, the majority of our church family hasn't heard me teach on giving because I don't teach on it very much. 
And yet this is a very important issue. It's one I need to be reminded of. It's one we all need to be reminded of. It's it's one, frankly, that our church needs to hear. My prayer is that our church would be filled with generous Christians. I pray we'd be generous to those in our lives. And of course, I pray that we would be generous uh, in our church so that we can see more done for the glory of God. I think we're all mature enough to know that we can't do what we do were it not for offerings. God set it up that way. But it's important to me that you understand my premise in giving. If someone were to say, Pastor Riot, you said you give a tithe every week and you give offerings every week. That's a part of your worship to God. Why do you do that? I've settled that issue in my heart. If you're still listening, say amen. amen. Say, why would you do that? Because I believe Jesus. A couple thousand years ago, he was born of a virgin. I believe it. He lived a sinless life. I believe that. He died, was buried. He rose again from the dead. I believe that. And once I settle that Jesus Christ is not only my Savior, but He's my Lord, I don't have to quibble over every little thing I find in the Word of God. My way of thinking of things is that if he did all that, and I believe that he did. I believe the testimony of the eyewitnesses as well. If he did all that, then whatever it is he says, it's good with me. It's good with me. So why would someone give? How about this? Because Jesus is God the Son to the glory of the Father. And as a believer, I can't find any good reason to keep back what God has encouraged me to give. Now, now I know, I, I could tell you, and I do believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that as we tithe, that we rebuke the devourer. In other words, the Bible says that God can get more done with 90% of our income as we tithe than we can get done with 100% of our income. And, and I certainly believe that. I do believe that God honors those who honor Him. Yes, I, I, I know firsthand that a church that is resourced financially can get far more done than a church that is stretched thin. But at my core, I want my giving and your giving to be all about Jesus. He's the Lord. And Jesus, and I quoted Jesus throughout this message, Jesus says we're to live lives of generosity. We're to give. We're to be very careful of greed and covetousness that can come into our lives and leave us perpetually dissatisfied. There's no better reason I can think of to be a consistent, faithful giver to God, to God's people, to the work of God. There's no better reason I can think of than Jesus loves me. And I want to love Him back. I, I want to do what He's told me to do. I, I don't succeed all the time in my life, but that's my desire as a Christian who's yielded my life to Jesus Christ. I just want to do what He would have me to do. And this is one of those areas where there would be nothing stopping me from doing that but me. It may be today that we need to get out of our own way a little bit and say, God, uh, I've had a measure of success as part of my life. Help me to more so enter into a life of generosity. Maybe you're here today and when it comes to just systematically, regularly giving to God through His work, maybe you'd say, you know, that's never really been a part of my Christian life or it's not now. I would say, go for it. 
begin. See if you can trust the words of Jesus. And I believe God can honor that which we do in faith for His glory and the good of others. And it just may be that we'll go from blessed to more blessed. Our Father, we're thankful today to open Your Word.